Welcome to another episode of the Med Motivation Podcast. Today, we are going to go through some basic physiology of memory and learning. Since our podcast is about study tips and motivation, and it's mostly for medical students, I thought why not go through some basic physiology material about memory and learning and how we can apply this into our studying process. This podcast is brought to you by Senpai Simplified. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already so that you can catch more content of us in the future. And uh, for those of you who have subscribed to my podcast via email, um thank you guys. And if you haven't already, make sure you check the link in the description. Subscribe to my podcast via email so that you get a new episode every week delivered right into your inbox so that you will never miss another episode and without further ado let's move on to some content and um yeah this is first of all define what learning is since that's what this whole podcast is based on the ability to alter behavior on the basis of experience as humans we have this ability and learning is the acquisition of this information that helps us alter our behavior according to the experience and memory is the ability of storing this information that we have learned so now that you have a basic understanding of a, a clear definition of what learning and memory is i'm sure this will help you guys in your physiology examinations as well so let's just try to go through the stuff step by step and figure out what it is that we need to change or that we need to apply into our studying that we can take from this So basically uh, we are taught that the memory can be classified into different types so the most basic classification of memory is explicit and implicit so explicit is declarative memory that you can declare that okay i remember this you can consciously recall this information those are explicit memories such as names facts like if you know someone's name or you can be like oh yeah i know that person's name but if it's an implicit memory it's a non declarative memory it's not dependent on conscious recall so you can't exactly recall it and it's not dependent on a conscious recall for example uh, a pavlovian reflex a russian psychologist named ivan pavlov so this guy was doing experiments on his dog he used to ring a bell every time he serves food to his dog and the dog associated that bell sound with the food so even without the food even without seeing or hearing or smelling the food not hearing i mean uh, even without seeing or smelling the food the dog would start salivating when he hears the bell so the dog has associated the food with the bell due to repeated exposure and that's what you call a pavlovian reflex so that kind of memory the dog is probably not aware that uh, it's happening to him it's kind of an implicit memory it's it's um, kind of programmed into the dog so he also have those kinds of reflex it's common to all mammals i guess I mean implicit memories are not so much important in this context since we are trying to learn stuff and be able to actively recall them because in the exam we are going to have to that's the whole point of this it's not that implicit memories are not important I will get to this later but let's just focus on explicit memories for now so explicit memories again divide into two different types we have episodic memories and semantic memories episodic memories are like um the name kind of suggests what it means as well kind of like an episode um it's a event that happens for example something that happened yesterday you remember it as an event those are episodic memories you remember like oh yeah i forgot to have lunch yesterday 
and that's an episodic memory and those memories are stored in the hippocampus and medial temporal lobe and the other type is semantic memories those are what really concerns us those are the memories that we need to focus on because it's not events that they're going to ask us in the exam right so majority of it is facts words rules anatomy those are semantic memories and those are stored in the temporal cortex and prefrontal cortex and uh, let's talk about implicit memories for a second implicit memories are stuff that we are not aware of right they are stored in different areas of the brain including basal ganglia and cerebellum and remember it does not involve the hippocampus okay so for example um, stuff like walking you don't consciously think like okay this is how i walk and try to recall it and then that's not how walking works right but it's kind of an implicit memory you have learned how to walk but you are doing it unconsciously your brain tells you to walk but it doesn't tell you how to walk but people with cerebellar disease they initially cannot walk but they can learn themselves to walk again but it never becomes a implicit memory it never becomes a natural habitual thing you have to like consciously think and concentrate really hard on walking when you do that if i easily distract you you might lose your balance that can happen to people with the cerebellar disease so implicit memories just like explicit memories implicit memories can again be divided into four different types procedural memories priming associative and non-associative so procedural implicit memories are uh, what i talked about earlier like walking and other skills like cycling so procedural memories are skills that have to be learned but they become automatic after a while so this can happen in any process that you do in a repetitive manner for example factory workers who do the same movement repetitively it becomes a kind of an automatic reflex after a while and that is a procedural memory and these are processed in the striatum and then uh, we have priming priming is very similar to um, associative memory the pavlovian reflex there is also a debate about whether this kind of memory exists or if it is the same as associative memory but it basically is helped by prompt and involves uh, neocortex and then you have the associative memories and those are what we talked about earlier the pavlovian reflexes involving amygdala and cerebellum and then you have non associative memories learning like habituation sensitization and those are dependent on reflex pathways so those are kind of technical stuff no need to get into too much detail as um, those are not the important ones that we need to know about since we are talking about study tips and how we can incorporate this into our learning environment but i think in my opinion certain things even in our exam let's say we are doing an mcq paper there are certain things even in that that we need to kind of make a habit out of for example it's very common in medicine that we are given true or false questions and if you give the wrong answer you get minus marks and it's expected of the medical students to have a habit of not answering questions that you don't know so it's different from a lot of other exams that you can just guess an answer and maybe work your luck you can't do that in medical college exams so you need to build a habit of after every question after every statement really ask yourself do i really know this and i think that has to come out of habit and you need to be um, sort of familiar with doing these papers and it has to become in a sense an implicit memory for you to be able to do the same in the exam because you'll have to be concentrating on the subject material and 
what they are really asking in the paper as well and in a very short time you have to answer it so i think implicit memories are also just as important and another thing that i believe is like we talked about so many types of memory and how each type is stored in different areas of the brain i feel like each part of our brain can only handle so much so i know that our prefrontal cortex and temporal cortex have a significant amount of folds and area than other parts of the brain so i guess they are much more adapted to handling large amounts of knowledge but still i mean not all our brains are the same some of us may be having smaller prefrontal cortexes than <laughs> bigger hippocampus i guess anyways the point is even semantic memories that we have we can turn them into episodic memories for example without entirely depending on our temporal cortex and prefrontal cortex um we can associate semantic memory we have like let's say the arterial tree the arterial schematic how the aorta goes and divides into different branches we can um turn it into an episodic memory for example another thing is when you're in a lecture and then and the lecturer explains the lesson to you with the story i had a brilliant um science teacher back when i was in school um and he used to do this amazing style of teaching which i've never seen anyone else do before or after he always um whenever a difficult topic comes up he always goes like this okay children last night i saw a dream and then he'd make up an entire story that relates to the the topic that he's trying to teach and it's kind of amazing how he does it and it doesn't always have to make sense or be a logical plot because it's a dream and dreams never make sense but still that story it's it's very entertaining to listen to that and we make that association with that that episodic memory and that kind of takes the stress of a temporal cortex and prefrontal cortex and it makes recalling much easier in my opinion so i think all those types of memory are important to our learning process and we can kind of divide up the work between all those parts of the brain so that it goes into our heads easier and then uh, we're talking about explicit memories right again guess what explicit memories also divide into two types you have short term memories and long term memories and our goal here as students is to turn this, those short term memories into long term memories at least um that's what is supposed to happen ideally but some universities they don't necessarily check our long term memory they just teach us a module and then right afterwards they have the exam so in a sense they are basically only checking your short term memory but if you have like if you have a lot of um, weight put towards your final exams in your university then i guess they are doing the right thing and checking your long term memory i think the long term memory is more important because you are not going to be studying like you do now when you are a doctor so you need to have a lot of it stored in your neocortex because that's where the long term memory is stored and the short term memories are processed in hippocampus and medial temporal lobe other areas of the brain are also involved in memory storage mammillary bodies amygdala mammillary bodies can be damaged in chronic alcoholic so we'll cover that in a different episode i guess for now just remember guys alcohol damages your mammillary bodies which affects your long term memory and um, amygdala has emotionally charged memories so if you are an emotional person you can associate the stuff you learn with your emotions and that may help with your learning process so now that you learned about the types of memory 
and which parts of the brain each type of memory is stored and the next part is about how this memory is stored and how you recall it it's kind of a very complex topic but we'll touch on the basic parts of it because other people are also gonna be watching this um, but i'm gonna assume that you have a basic understanding of biology at least a grade 11 level of understanding of biology so i will try to simplify it as much as possible mechanisms of storage and recall so as you may or may not know the memory is actually not stored in our neurons the memories are stored in the synapses the connections between two neurons so these synapses can be weakened or strengthened due to different effects so a synapse is the place where an impulse from one neuron like the electrical signal from one neuron travels to the other it's a kind of a conduction process so when the synapse becomes weaker its ability to pass the information the impulse to the next neuron decreases and this synapse can be strengthened or weakened and that phenomenon is called synaptic plasticity and it has depending on the frequency rate and the strength of stimulus coming in you can have both presynaptic and postsynaptic effects so the synapse has two membranes right the membrane of the previous neuron and the next neuron the presynaptic and the postsynaptic membranes so you can have effects on both the pre or postsynaptic membranes that cause synaptic plasticity and long term memory requires protein synthesis and the making of long term memories can be prevented because of hypothermia and electric shock i don't know how that affects us as medical students but um don't study in the cold i guess because um, hypothermia can prevent the formation of long term memories and recalling of these memories stored in synapses are stimulated by different associations such as sight smell sound and has an emotional component so talking a bit more about the synaptic plasticity okay this is a bit too advanced for most of you i guess so i will maybe skip over this process anyway the key point you can get in this is something called long term potentiation so our goal as students is to strengthen these synapses to make our memories solid and strong so that you don't lose because our goal is to not forget even though our brains are basically programmed to forget stuff that are not important that we don't recall i mean that's just basic human physiology and that's how it works we all complain about forgetting stuff but it's it's a good thing that we forget things if you don't forget everything that goes into your head that's going to be a bigger problem there is also a type of obsessive compulsive disorder that um, that often gets confused with photographic memory it's a disorder where the person tries to the person actually obsesses over their memories the patient is actually obsessing thinking over and over again about especially this happens with episodic memories with the uh, ocd patients of this type they obsess over those memories those events in their head so they remember every event that has happened in their life every single event with the date and time and you can unlike uh, people with photographic memory these are like very emotionally charged people and they obsess over their memories and they are kind of emotionally still involved in those memories every bad thing that happened to them they are still offended they are still um, thinking about it and obsessing over it so so that kind of ability to remember is not worth it trust me you'd rather forget stuff than be that person and back to the topic 
long term potentiation this is the the thing that we should achieve in our synapses to achieve long term memory even this if this happens too much this can cause long term depression apparently but i hope i didn't get too technical in this topic and i hope you guys got a rough idea and a good recall of your neurophysiology so the main thing that i want you to get into your head is that it's important that you study like most of the stuff as medical students especially the most of the stuff that we need to study are explicit memories stuff that are in nature explicit memories and what i want you to know is that it doesn't always have to be stored in your brain as an explicit memory it can be associated with your emotions an episode and like an event it can be associated with another explicit memory or it can be <clears throat> associated with names facts and something that happened in the day or something that happened in your lecture if something interesting happens in your lecture that is unrelated to the topic you are still more likely to remember that the subject material that happened in that lecture rather than a boring lecture so that's a tip for your lecturers try to excuse your students for being a bit more interesting during lectures because they are actually helping the other students retain more of what you just taught in the lecture the more smoothly your lecture goes the less of that will be remembered by your students and the other thing that i want to get through to you is that you need to be able to differentiate between which of the things that you are learning have to be implicit and explicit memories and the way you need to approach these um, these things are different for example let's say you have an anatomy topic which is obviously a explicit memory so just learning just reading through that anatomy page book or whatever this happens to all of us right we are just reading through and we finish an entire paragraph and then we just realize wait what none of that went into our head right so you need to be like very awake and like consciously paying attention to the task at hand when we are learning something that is going to be an explicit memory but when it comes to implicit memories your goal is to be able to do it without paying attention to it so it doesn't matter whether you are paying attention to it or not i mean i guess the first few times you have to because you haven't exactly learned it but something like riding a bicycle you have to pay attention to it in the beginning to get used to it but it doesn't have to continue like that you don't have to pay attention to it it has to come automatically and it, you're supposed to let that happen this applies into our context when we do stuff like skills that we need to acquire as students that involves getting used to doing question papers getting more familiar with the type of exam questions that you are going to get in your exam and other things that may help in your studies like your typing speed those are not things that if you want to increase your typing speed like paying full attention to your keyboard and trying to type that's not going to work you are supposed to basically just do it more and more often and try to make it a more natural process and the third thing is about active recall yep as far as trying to get at the whole time so as we learned these memories are stored in our brain in the synapses and the way to make these memories retain in your brain is to stimulate those synapses in a certain way that it retains in your brain for a longer time so as i said earlier what we need to really achieve is that long term potentiation the one that involves protein synthesis and the phosphorylation of the AMPA receptors 
this is the one that actually stimulates long term memories the formation of long term memories so in long term potentiation it's a persistent strengthening of the synapse based on recent patterns of activity it's different from the post tetanic potentiation that i talked about and this is what really causes the long term memory formation according to a lot of research done in this area i will include the research that i talked about in this in the description so it's really hard to incorporate these findings in the cellular level the real life phenomenon but there have been a bunch of researches done on this and not on humans but mostly on mice but that's as good as it gets so we're going to have to live with that so they have found that this is specially involved in the formation of spatial memory which is very relevant to us medical students cuz spatial memory like anatomy is basically 50% spatial memory so and it it's also involved in inhibitory avoidance and behavioral learning so in the spatial memory experiment let me tell you a little bit about that um the scientists gave this these mice drugs that enhance the long term memory potentiation and those mice performed better in learning the spatial memory learning the area around them much quicker and much more efficiently than the mice who weren't given that pharmacological enhancement so like i said the long term depression that i talked about earlier i was afraid that you might get it wrong the long term depression is not like the clinical depression that we talk about uh, long term depression what i meant by that was the, the neurological effect the opposite of long term potentiation it's the activity that causes a decrease in the synaptic strength which is the opposite of long term potentiation and when this says uh, persistent strengthening and this is where spaced repetition comes in so let me tell you a bit about spaced repetition if you don't already know this is very popular among medical students right so if you don't know about spaced repetition already please let me introduce you to spaced repetition spaced repetition is basically an evidence based learning technique i don't know why this is not more widely used and incorporated into our learning and this should be and this is widely known among medical students but this is not something that was taught to them in medical school it just passes down on to them from the seniors i guess and through social media and other internet platforms spaced repetition is an evidence based learning technique that is usually performed with flash cards we need to stimulate those neurons right in a persistent manner and spaced repetition is basically they have through experiment found the best way to induce this long term memory formation the best and most efficient way to recall the best way to turn these short term memories into long term memories is like we said to stimulate those neurons that means to recall those memories and the way to do that is to make that long term potentiation and then recall the memories not just learn it all over again but actively recall it so in space repetition something that we come across is active recall so it's basically not just like looking at the note that you wanted to study again for the second time but like actually trying to recall it without any source trying to recall it from your head and then um check it with an actual reference to see if you are right this was first introduced by this guy named herman ebbinghaus herman ebbinghaus a german psychologist and there was another guy called sebastian leitner and he introduced the the leitner system of flashcards with the leitner's box not sure if i should go through all of these in this podcast and that's a lot of information for you to handle but this is going to be a longer one so evidence based learning right so this spaced repetition is the psychological spacing effect 
So Hermann Ebbinghaus, what he did was he introduced the forgetting curve and how that forgetting curve could be reset with repetition based on active recall. So I have explained this very nicely in one of my YouTube videos called the best learning technique in the 21st century. And that shows you how the forgetting curve can be reset and it goes back to the top. I have shown this very nicely in one of my YouTube videos titled the best learning technique in the 21st century. So in that it shows how the forgetting curve can be reset by an active recall. And in the way you time these active recalls, you can significantly increase your learning efficiency. And that's just a beautiful method, actually. And I'm very surprised, like, why they don't incorporate this into schools and why they don't teach us this more. Because these experiments have been done. This, this scientific knowledge has been acquired almost centuries ago, decades and centuries ago. And still, our learning system is basically very... Um, and um, I have explained this beautifully in one of my YouTube videos titled The Best Learning Technique in the 21st Century. And it shows how these, how the forgetting curve kind of resets when, when you do an active recall. And in the way you space these active recalls, you can increase your efficiency of learning significantly. So this spaced repetition is done using flashcards, right? So, and another thing you need to know about spaced repetition is this theory works only for memories, like semantic memories, which are not associated with other memories. For example, like one single fact, like let's say in reality, when you're learning something in a subject, all those facts that you uh, learn are usually correlated with each other. Like for example, even in anatomy, okay, you learn about um, you learn about the liver and then its relations. So it's it has an aspect of understanding it as well. And even though you don't remember the exact fact, sometimes you are able to work it out with the other facts that you do know. So this this theory mainly applies for like this is basically only tested on independent facts like names and places that are not related to other things. And this method can be directly applied when you're learning a language. And even still, those words, the new vocabulary you learn, the words, you can incorporate it into different things. And, and when you do that, the rate at which you forget changes for the type of memory that you are trying to learn. So it's not always the same in the forgetting curve when there are other factors involved. And you need to be aware of that. But still, you need to apply this method into your learning regardless. Because literally every medical student in the Western world uses this. Even I discovered this learning method online and I have been using it ever since. And in the time I did do spaced repetition properly, my marks were pretty satisfactory. So, and I think I will cover more of this spaced repetition in the next episode. I have to leave some cliffhangers for the next episode as well, right? So, see you guys next week. And make sure you subscribe to my podcast if you haven't already. I will have a link in the description. You can go there and enter your email simply. And get this podcast delivered right into your inbox every week. And make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Senpai Simplified. And if you want to support me, please please check out my Instagram, my Facebook and my Twitter. I will include all the links in the description. And if you want to reference some of the resources that I talked about in this podcast... You can also check the description. I will include all of them in the description. And that's it for today's podcast. And I wish you all the best in your studies. Senpai out.